Hello, welcome back to A to Z with Amy Z. I'm your host, Amy Z. Hello. So if you've been listening for the last couple of months, you know that I am living on my cousin's property in Phoenix, Arizona. And one of the beautiful things about this whole circumstance is that I get to make memories with my cousins. And being so close to them is just a unique experience that I have I just, I didn't know it was ever going to happen. Um, they moved away when I was, when I was about 15 and being one of the older cousins, I didn't get to really get to know them in ways or make memories. Let's say I, I know them, but just get to make memories and do that kind of thing. So that has been very exciting for me personally, um, just being this close and being forced. They are forced to deal with me when I knock on their door and say, Hey, you got an extra egg? And those kinds of things. Um, okay, so I would never just pick a favorite cousin. I just, that's mean. But I have to say this, and I, I'm, I'm legit when I say this. Victoria and I are very closely matched in a lot of ways. And I know, should we have lived closer together over the years, we would be like two peas in a pot. So I would like to welcome to my show... My cousin, the author, Victoria. Hi, Amy. Thank, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for letting me crash on your land for <laughs> two solid months. Actually, it'll be a little bit longer once we leave. Our pleasure. And really, though, mm-hmm. <laughs> I I can be a bit much. I know this. I know this. It's okay. You have your own little box that we can put you in. <laughs> right? <laughs> can you go back to that box, please, and lock that door? We've had enough. And I'm so excited that you have a dog because I really, like, dog people are, we're not unique. We're awesome. Uh, We're the best people. We are. Even more so than, like, cat people, like, pet people in general, but the dog more specifically, like, we're amazing. And you have a dog, and I miss my dog. So thank you for letting me enjoy Goose. I appreciate that. He is grateful to have you. Yeah. (laughs) He's put on a few pounds. Not a few, maybe, like, one. (laughs) Just one, you know. I have, you know, I grill outside a lot. Things fall. I can't help it that he's a cleaner upper. He's he's a very good boy. He helps us in the kitchen. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I am an avid reader. You are a voracious reader. I am as much as I read and have always just like I will sit on a pile of laundry and scrap it and just focus on a book. I still don't have those like innate, I don't feel like I have that innate ability to put words on paper in that structure of dialogue and of ideas. And you, I mean, when you, oh God, I get, I've gotten really lost in some books. I'm like, how do they do that? Um, and I've read, written, or read, not written, read probably hundreds of books. And yet I do not feel like I have that, those abilities. And part of living on this property for the last few months I've learned that my very intelligent cousin has written not one, not two, not three, four plus books. Ish. I mean, if they're not all finished, but yeah. That's besides um... the point. (laughs) That is so besides the point. I mean, I'm, I literally am blown away, blown away. Okay. So I do want to talk about the process and what you go through, but can I just say, when we went to the Mystery Castle, mm-hmm. I got to watch part of that process, and that was so much freaking fun. Okay, so if you haven't listened to the Mystery Castle episode, don't worry about it. It's It was okay. 
it was interesting enough. However, when you're there with a person that writes books and everything to them is another detail of the story, that was like the best part of that whole trip was just watching your brain explode and you'd be like typing in your phone and you'd think of another idea and then you'd type again and I'd be like, oh, oh, what about this? Yeah. It was so much fun. Yeah. So that's kind of how all of my stories that I have written so far have happened. It's something that I've either experienced or that I've seen mm-hmm. in my world, in my life. And it sparks my interest. And it's, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it is pretty fun. Okay. Um, and my husband has become a really good sounding board for Ooh. me. So in the Mystery Castle, for example, like the first thing that I did was say this outlandish idea to him about a story. And it was... Um, about these shoes. So when we're in the mystery castle, there are these shoes on display and the the tour guide told us that they were shoes from every bride that's ever gotten married in this place. And that struck me as just really creepy. No, no. Super creepy. And then I stood in the space where supposedly these brides would have gotten married and I look at these shoes and I'm like, no way. This was some kind of weird ritual killing something. (laughs) Definitely these women did not willingly give up their wedding shoes. Absolutely not. And then and and we just that was the first one. That was Okay, side note, you are not psychotic or creepy in any way. So for your head to like immediately go there just like threw me. I was dying laughing. I'm like, "What? What? You think murders? Okay. What else are we getting? And then and then obviously. Yeah, obviously. Well, seriously, once you start looking around, you're like, "Yes. Oh, yes. Like this 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 and this." But even still, Vicky, I like I could not look at that and even get a couple ideas and create an entire novel on that. And you like legit got your protagonist. You've got your 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 high points. Your all the all the sidewinding things that happen in a book. I I might just have to wait for that one first before anything else. <laughs> just the just since I have that personal connection. Oh man, with that one. So that so you're saying that is kind of how you get your vision is just different things in life, and you let your mind just kind of explode. Yeah. So the ones the books that I've really written so far are loosely based off of people or things in my life. Um, my own experiences or the experiences of people around me. And I definitely change the story. I change the details. I change the people so that it is fictionalized, but the seed is almost is always something that I've lived, um, or that someone very close to me has lived because, um, truth is stranger than fiction Mm. like we've all been through and or seen some crazy stuff in our lives and i feel like if there's i read it somewhere it was probably stephen king's book on writing i brought it with me because it's it's one of my um most inspirational things that i that i use as a writer um but i believe it was him that said um everything that we write has to have some kind of shred of truth. It has to be grounded in some kind of truth. Otherwise it's just so inauthentic. And you can Mm -hmm. look at stories um, that authors write, even crazy fantasy magic stuff. There's still elements of reality in it that kind Hmm. of grounds you um, as you're reading it. And so that's, um, that's how I write. Okay. I love it. Yeah. I do get on like a historical fiction kick Mm -hmm. once in a while where I don't, really care to know all the details of World War II. However, it does help to educate me in some way through the lens of the the characters. Mm -hmm. Love that. Because I come back feeling not only just enriched by 
these people I just met in this book, however, they're fictional, whatever, but then also being a little more like, oh, and that that was that day. And that is when that got bombed or whatever, you know, like interesting to think about, you know, those scenarios in a human being like a person that was actually living that and hearing their story and, and how that affected them. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know how to get back to my questions because. <sighs> All right. So, okay, let's go back to this or to this. Your degree, both your undergrad and your. Uh, thank you. <laughs> you can tell which one of us has a master's. Um, have nothing to do with writing. No, they um, I knew I wanted to be a writer from the time I was 10 years old, and I made that known to my family, and my family made it known to me that that's a great dream, but probably you need a job that can make you actual money. <laughs> and I didn't know anything about anything because I was 10, mm-hmm. and I got it in my head at that age that like maybe eventually someday I can be a writer for fun, but my job needs to be something that's more solid and more secure. Um And so it's a story for another day, but I became a sign language interpreter and both my bachelor's degree and my master's are in sign language interpretation. Okay. Which are fun or interesting in its own right, I'm sure, because I know a little bit about that and all the fun that you have gotten to meet some some celebrities and you've gotten to be at places like the Super Bowl. So there is that element. So thanks mom and dad for, you know, instilling some normalcy in our life. However, I too have a similar story where it was just like, no, 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 you need, you need a fallback. No, 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 no. You need a fallback. And then I, my fallback became pregnant at 16 and I just became a mom. So (laughs) I knocked both all that shit out the woods. Probably not what they meant. No, definitely (laughs) not what they meant. Definitely not. Um, yeah, so I get that. It sucks in a lot of ways that, although I feel like as parents now, it made me focus anyway on helping my kids to find something that they are passionate about. Yeah. Um, and it's really tricky because in today's world, in my generation, you didn't have to have a master's. And now in, in the, the kids now, they have to. So it's like, okay, do what you love, but also go into debt about six figures. Like there's so many components but also, we live in a day and age when writers can make a lot of money. Yeah. Podcasters can make money. People who are in any kind of art form can actually make some money. Little did our parents know right. that that was possible. So it's like, yay, you guided me, but you also caused me a lot of trauma right. and frustration. Yes. And I'm, I just. I'm not mad that I became an interpreter. It's been a great career. I've been doing it for 20 years, if you can oh my believe Lord. that. You're not that old. You um, can't. I started interpreting like professionally when I was only 19. Really? Yeah. So yeah, it's been 20 years and uh, I've, I've had some fantastic experiences and I've had some experiences that have lightly, loosely influenced some of my writing. But I've just gotten to see a lot of things yeah. and be a lot of places that I wouldn't otherwise have gotten to see and be. Um, so it's it's had a positive impact in that sense. Um, Is there and, any books in the works because of it? Yeah, there's one um, that I, I'm working on, and I think it's going to be a collection of short stories. Cool. Um, want me to tell you about it? Sure. You, okay. This this is your platform today. I'm loving all of it, so you go. So uh, there are, as a sign language interpreter, we I'm working with um, marginalized communities a lot of the time. I'm working with people who are deaf, who um, encounter systems that are not designed for them, 
that are inherently oppressive. And um, as an interpreter, I am hired by that system. So I'm now working within the system um, and I know that it's not designed to accommodate the people that I'm working with. Um, and so some scenarios come up that can be um, challenging, disheartening. Mm-hmm. Like you want to just upend the whole thing and fix sure. it and make it better and, and you can't. Um, and so the the short story collection that I have in mind, and I've talked to a few of my colleague friends about it, is called Complicit. And it's it's going to be a collection of stories from from interpreters about walking that fine line of doing our job professionally, impartially, not impacting the communication, um, but at the same time feeling like we're part of the problem because Mm. we are working in a system that we know is oppressive. So how do we do our jobs and do it well and and stay professional, but also um, how do we adequately serve the community that we're trying to serve? So it's a real catch-22 a lot of the time. And um, all of my colleagues that I'm friends with, um, when I say that word, they immediately have at least one story that's really, really stuck with them. Um, so Are they going to allow you to use yeah, some of their material? Yeah, some okay. of them want to write it themselves, <clears throat> which I will absolutely encourage. And some want me to write it for them, and I'll do that too. And, you know, we'll change names and details and everything else so that sure. we're not giving away private information. But, um, but yeah, we've all... I think it's a universal experience for sign language interpreters that I will I will share with the world. Yeah, and I think for those of us who have no information on that, that is that is one of those key reasons why I read. I would never know about any of this right. if it, um, I read a book. Shoot, I wish I could remember the name of it about a woman whose husband. Oh, this is going to be really bad. I should have. I just came to me was a journalist in Mexico and the journalists in Mexico were being killed and how her and her son had to run for their lives. They were thought to be dead, how they got to America. Like, I mean, I've always loved the Mexican culture. I have never had issues with our immigration policy because I'm just, well, I mean, not the policy per se, but you know what I mean? Like I embrace anybody looking for any kind of freedom. And if United States is what they, they view as being, free and not in harm's way like her story whoa blew my mind so there's so many things like i said like world war ii and just different experiences that i I wasn't alive then i'm curious to know how it happened or i'm alive now but i have no idea what's going on in in different parts of the world or our own country or people with different traumas and things like that if it wasn't for that book oh my gosh i fell in love with moths because of a book. I was telling you about the overstory. I, I've always been a tree hugger. I love my, I love a good tree. But the overstory blew my mind. It's one of my top five books I ever, re- I mean, it's, okay, to, can you see, can you feel the excitement? <laughs> I love reading. So thank you for all the stories you're going to share. Let's talk about that process. Yeah. We've, we've talked about like how you get your ideas and putting on paper, but Walk us through what that then looks like, a timeline per, of sorts. Oh, the timeline thing I have utterly failed at. Um, Stop <laughs> it. So a uh, couple different things um, that I've found motivate me or work for me. Um, the first thing I want to say about that, though, is um, there are books for writers about how to be a writer, um, lots and lots of them. And the two that I have read repeatedly are Stephen King's, it's called On Writing, and then um, Anne Lamott. 
It's called Bird by Bird. And those two are um, a little bit more gentle in how they talk about writing because there are a lot of people who want to teach you how to be a writer and it's really rigid. It's um, you have to do it this way and you have to write at the same time for the same amount of time um, every single morning and no editing allowed. And mm. like, it's super, super rigid. And I tried to write that way mm-hmm. when I first started really becoming serious about writing. Um, and I just felt like a failure from the second that I, that I started because I couldn't focus the way that these books made it sound like I should have been able to, if I was going to be a real writer. I've heard that. I've heard that just write, even if it is just get down and just, just freaking do it. Yeah. And it'll come to you. But this is, I've never been like that, but I mean, you know. Right. And and I think a lot of people aren't. And so um, what Stephen King and, and Anne Lamott, I think those books have in common is that they acknowledge that everybody's going to be a little bit different. And if anybody tells you as a writer that there's, that this is the only way to do it, then you shouldn't listen to them because <laughs> maybe that's what worked for them and that's fantastic, but that's not going to work for everyone else. So really what they encourage is to figure out what your writing process actually is. And I'm still learning that for myself. Okay. Um, a couple months ago, I did my own like mini writer's retreat where I borrowed nice. a friend's cabin and uh, went up to Munns Park and I was by myself for like four or five days. And I had a very rigid schedule of like, I built in breaks. I built in creativity breaks where I could play my ukulele or color in one of my adult coloring books or listen to a podcast or whatever. Um, But it was like, I will write for this long and I will take a break for this long and then I will eat and then I will. Um, That did not happen Hmm. at all. But after the first, like, I don't know, 20 minutes, I was like, never mind my schedule. I didn't look at it again the rest of the (laughs) time. I had all of my tools. I had my laptop. I had my writing books. I had my my outlines and all my things, and I had my creative outlets, what have you. And so I just kind of sat and let let my subconscious decide what was going to be next. Cool. And I found that I write um, really well in the morning, but I have to have food first. Okay. I have to have food and coffee. Coffee. I mean, a must. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> um, and then I can write for like, you know, an hour and a half. And I can get out like, you know, 1,500, 2,000 words in that time. Wow. Um, and then I might not write again until like five or six o'clock in the evening, but I can then write until like, you know, 10 o'clock at that. But staying rigid in a schedule all day long just doesn't work for me. And so I needed to learn that about myself and accept that about myself. I love this. And if we can just transition for a minute. Because I think it's so important for my podcast specifically is that's part of what I, why I'm doing this is because I want people to know that, A, they're not alone. There are lots of other people out there that feel like you do, have issues like you do, have trauma, but this is a different kind of process, right? You were told as a kid, I, you know, that's great. That's great, honey. Great to have dreams. However, and here you are living it out. And now you're living it out through and trying to do it the way that other people have been living it out. And you, st- and there's still this process of learning your own stuff. What I'm most proud of is that you haven't given up, oh, thank you. that you per- continue to pursue it, but that you are open-minded in the fact that you're going to figure this shit out. Even if the pros are telling you one thing, you're going to, you're like, no, I meant to do this. This is who I am. It's like that for so many people, I'm sure. I mean, if you just think about all the things in our universe right now, 
We have a computer in our pocket all the freaking time. I was a kid. We were on our way to Ohio to visit my grandparents. And I said, oh, I just wish we had a phone in the car. We could call grandma and tell her to order the pizza. Now I'm so hungry. I mean, was I prophetic then? I'm not quite sure. But now look at us. Like, if you if you stop a person from doing what they're meant to do while they're living on this planet, think of all the things that we could have had already or the things that we do have that we wouldn't have. Like, all, all that stuff. Yeah. So part of that's why I wanted to talk to you today is because I want to encourage others. I don't give a flying fuck what your passion is. Do it. Yep. I don't care if you're 65, 85, 92. Do it. I, I find more joy out of reading an article about a seven-year-old woman or man who just got their degree. Yep. Hell yeah, you did. Yep. It's never, never too late to learn or create or imagine or fully live out your life's dream. Yep. You, yeah, freaking do it. The way that we were raised, and I think a lot of our, we're in two different generations technically, I guess, but. Yes, you are a millennial. Okay, so uh, real quick, sorry, don't hold that thought. My thinking on the millennialism and how like the boomers don't really like you, but the gen, if you noticed, Gen Xers don't really care, and I think this is why. So the boomers had like their thing, like they're like, oh yeah, we got this money, we got this power, we're the number one because you know they were born after the war and and they came into that stream of stuff. And then there's the Gen Xers like me who are just kind of like, oh okay. All right, we're going to go along for that ride. Yeah, I kind of don't like that ride, but I don't I don't know how to get off that ride, but I really like I really like this millennial ride. And we want to join that ride, but we know what you guys said is what well, huh. And I feel like we're just kind of stuck. Look, we really want what the millennials have because we thought about it, but we didn't know how to operate it, how to bring it into motion. Whereas the millennials are like, no, fuck that shit. I'm going to do this. Like, you guys have set the stage for whatever, and now we're going to do it. And so that's why I feel like Gen Xers are like, yeah, yeah, I want to get on that boat. Let's help sail that boat. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't have that. We didn't have that progression of that understanding. And that, that is totally off the wall. My own freaking theory heard this from nowhere. Yeah. Okay. Back to you. I agree with that. And it kind of ties into what I was going to say. Like, the millennials... Um, we're taught like you were taught that like you have to have the the solid plan that's going to make you money that's going to be stable and whatever and millennials eventually like i feel like a lot of us have shifted away from that as adults though like we didn't get there until we did the right thing and had our good job mm-hmm. and had our house and I'm, I'm one of the lucky millennials that does get to have a house um and i know that that's a whole different thing but anyway um <laughs> we have a lot of us have shifted to that more creative passion pursuit of such that we were told as young kids we couldn't have and i think that what's happening now with the gen zers is that they're skipping the part where they deny themselves their passions where they deny themselves Mm. the things that they want out of life and they're pursuing that first and the boomers and the, the gen xers who are raising them are like wait a minute what are you doing? You're like, you're going rogue over here. And they're like, no, like you've, I've heard my whole life that we should pursue our passion and we should follow Mm -hmm. our dreams and whatever. And they kind of, not in a bad way, but missed that memo of having this like rigid concept of how you're supposed to be successful. And they've sort of redefined that, which I love for them. Um, And I think a lot of millennials have gotten there too, um, but we had to fight through, um, our, I don't know, the way that we were raised yeah. in order to get there. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I don't love going to a restaurant and they're understaffed because none of the Gen Zers want to work. But you can't, but, blame, but them. You can't blame them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm at fault at that if you want to think about it because 
I didn't force my kids to work because I I take that back. I did encourage them to have a job because I know the value of learning those things under under the vice of somebody else, a third party, your mm-hmm. boss, not yeah. your parents saying right. you need to, you know, rinse that out and walk away and and take that cash, right? Like like I understood that value, but it was never like you have to work. Mm-hmm. We can't afford your track shoes this year. That was me, yeah, right? Me like you have to babysit at 10 years old at midnight on New Year's for 12 kids because you need that money to do whatever in the youth group. Like, whereas my kids were like, no, mom will figure it out. Dad will figure it out. Yeah, yeah. we'll pull an extra side job. We'll, fi- you know, yeah. and they didn't have that. So there's a little, little angst in my body about some of that. However, my kids are all amazing. Yep. I feel like they're brains are screwed on tightly, so I'm not <laughs> really worried about them at all. That's like you said, the process has been so different. Yeah. And I don't think that it's, I think there is a little bit of a misconception about them. And like some people think that they're lazy and un- unmotivated right. and all the things. Mm-hmm. And that's not really what no. it is. They're not willing to compromise yeah. their passions and their goals to just so that they can have a job. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, I admire I that. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have loved having you on, and I am so excited that you got to share your story with me today, that I squeezed out a half an hour of your very busy time, because you are so, you're just so cute. And I just (laughs) love talking with you about all the random bits, but especially this topic, and getting to share you with my listeners. So what have you dreamed about doing, but are either just getting started in it, or aren't brave enough to try? I want to support you in your endeavor. I am a firm believer that it's never too late to start something. Listen to the next episode when we trap. Well, sorry. Listen to the next episode when we chat about trauma from the church. I would love for you to rate and review the show, share with a friend, and spread the love. Leave a comment on Instagram with show ideas, questions, or comments, or even email me at a to z with amyz at gmail.com. And if you love what you hear and you want more, consider buying me a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash a to z with amyz. Bye bye.